This is an OSV Podcast Network production. To learn more, visit osvpodcasts.com. Welcome to Season 2 of Revive, where we explore how to renew and revive your faith. Our goal with each episode is for you to leave feeling equipped to bring Christ's love to the world. I'm your host, Tim Lumkowski, CEO of the National Eucharistic Congress. Special thank you to today's show sponsors, Relevant Radio and the Augustine Institute. Hey everyone, my name is Tim Blumkowski, CEO for the National Eucharistic Congress. Uh, thank you for tuning in to Revive, where on the road to the National Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis from July 17th through 21st this year, 2024, we're going to be exploring how to renew and revive our own living relationship with Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Uh, we're honored, privileged to be the official podcast of the USCCB's National Eucharistic Revival. Come along to discover the depths of the Catholic faith with me and special guests from across the country. We have a very special one today uh, and leave feeling equipped to bring Christ's love to the world. And uh, this is the second season of the Revive podcast. We're really focusing on having conversations with Catholic leaders who are committed to helping you and kindle your missionary fire so that you can share the gift of our Eucharistic Lord with others. It's a joy to have you joining us today. I hope they're especially excited to hear from Father Mike Schmitz uh, as we talk a little bit about this important moment for the church. So um, Father Mike Schmitz uh, is a man who needs no introduction, but um, he was ordained for the Diocese of Duluth in 2003 and studied at St. Paul Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. I believe you knew a Father Andrew Cousins uh, there oh, at I the time. Did. I certainly did. <laughs> and uh, and now is a you know an internationally known um, speaker and communicated, uniquely gifted communicator of the gospel, I would say, is something I want to talk about a little bit. Um, he, he hosted the 2021 breakout podcast, The Bible in the Year, which uh, quickly became the number one podcast uh, on the Apple charts and is the most popular Catholic podcast of all time. He's also worked on the catechism in a year, um, all kinds of different things. Media Father, we're so grateful for you being with us today. Thank you very much. And also to, about uh, Bishop Cousins. He was already a legend back then when I was in seminary. He was just recently ordained and I think they sent him off for further studies in Rome. And it was like, whenever he came back to Minnesota, it was like, oh yeah, that, that's Father Cousins over there. He, he, there's something good, something amazing about this guy. And of course, as we know, there is something pretty amazing about this guy. Yeah. So. I, I think, yeah, people don't know that part of his story, the uh, sort of the academia and the professor. I've heard his, his class on the Eucharist was like, or well, sacraments was unbelievable. Yeah, or, on the Eucharist. Yeah. That's the thing is I felt so, so robbed of, of, <laughs> because I'm not going to, we're not going to name names here, but I did not have a Father Andrew Cousins uh, or Bishop Andrew Cousins teach me the Eucharist class. I remember I had the same class, very different reality. I remember talking to some of my brothers uh, here in the priesthood up in Duluth, and uh, they talked about going to Father Cousins class on the Eucharist. And they said it was just, it would, every day their mind would be blown, just like incredible, but not, not just their mind. He said, they said that uh, the next thing after their class hour was mass, daily mass. And what Father Cousins would do regularly is he would say, okay, guys, we've been talking about our Lord in the Eucharist for the last however long. These last 10 minutes, let's stop talking. Let's get our hearts ready to actually enter into the mystery we've been talking about for the last. Uh, and it's just like, oh my gosh, I never, we never got that. Also didn't get the content. So it's, it's legendary, as I said. That's cool. No, it's, it, he's one of the, I've been working with him for maybe three years now, uh, pretty closely in this Eucharistic revival project. And it's like, the, the more I've gotten to know him, you know, sometimes you really get to know people and you're like, oh, okay. You know, there's the, yeah, yeah. like, he's just, <laughs> he's like an actual, uh, saint, you know, like yeah, it's, it's yeah. just like the more I get to know him, the more I'm like, Oh, this is actually who you are like mm -hmm. in the core. And he Always. suffered. And, you know, I think the Lord's really led him on a journey, but that, that's actually a perfect place. That's kind of where I want to start is I've heard enough of your story to know, you know, that 
even with the faith, there was sort of a moment of reversion and different. I think you grew up Catholic, but there was a deepening at different points in your story and your journey. And one of the things I've kind of been interested, particularly people who, um, you know, I don't, I don't know this part of their life or their stories. Like, when did you, um, maybe as a place to begin, as we talk about Eucharistic revival, when did you yourself sort of encounter Jesus in the Eucharist as a person for the first time? Yeah, that's, that's, it's something I love talking about. I will, the Eucharist is, I, I've said this many, many times. I would say it again. I will, I will say it again. Is that the very first time I was ever asked to speak at a church? Um, I was a first year seminarian, I think. And they said, hey, come back to our youth group on one, our Wednesday night religious education. And it would talk about anything. I said, what do you want me to talk about? They said, talk about anything. And I said, well, if I can talk about anything, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about the Eucharist. And they said, okay, great, go for it. And then when I was first ordained a deacon, the first time I got to preach, I got to preach on the Eucharist. And the first time I got ordained, was ordained a priest, it was uh, on Corpus Christi. And I got to, you know, again, proclaim Jesus in the Eucharist. It's something so powerful um, because, so as you mentioned, I, my, part of my story is that I was raised Catholic and um, didn't really like going to Mass at all. Kind of like a normal, I guess I'm a normal Catholic person. Um, we had to go to Mass, so my parents were pretty, pretty solid on that. Uh, you know, it's so fascinating because my parents weren't, um, over, I would say overly Catholic, but I guess it's all on a sliding scale. Uh, it, I, I say in this sense, we didn't pray a family rosary, but my mom prayed the rosary every night and, and we didn't necessarily go to daily mass, but we went to Sunday mass no matter what. I mean, that was a, that was absolutely the only way you could get out of going to a Sunday mass or a holy day is if you were too sick to do anything else for the rest of the day. Now I always describe that. I was so, um, I didn't like going to mass so much that there were times, many times as a kid where I pretended to be sick in order to try to get out of mass. A couple of times I pulled it off. Like, I don't know if my mom was just tired or if she actually bought it, but what would happen is they would all leave and I pretend to be sick. They would all leave. I would have an hour of whatever, you know, doing whatever I wanted to do. And then the rest of the day, I would have to, I would have to sit in my room by myself doing nothing. Like I, there's no, there's no TV back then in my rooms, at least there's no devices. There's no, there was just sitting there. And I thought I was still winning. I thought like, I still, I got, at least I got out of going to mass, even though now I have to sit here by myself. Now that all changed. A couple of things happened, but one of the things happened is I encountered the Lord in, in uh, reconciliation. So the first thing that happened was my heart was pierced uh, by sin and was, was just consoled by God's. Uh, mercy and confession. And that was just an act of the Holy Spirit, huge act of grace, because it came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. But then the next thing also came out of nowhere. Speaking of my mom, my mom, like many people's moms, I think, had a big stack of books and magazines that she wanted to read, quote unquote, someday. And so, and just like stacks, these Catholic magazines, these Catholic books, that all this would be good to have, you know, so-and-so recommended this one. One of those books, I actually caught, I bought a new copy of it, but it was titled back in the day. It was called A Catechist Tells It Is Stories or something like this. And every chapter was another aspect of the Catholic faith. One chapter was on the Eucharist. And it was just anecdotes, like little anecdotes about how, how baptism has taken a, played, played out in a person's life or how confession has played out or the Eucharist. I remember reading the chapter on the Eucharist. And it was just a collection of stories about, you know, Eucharistic miracles, about people who died for the Eucharist, you know, rather than abdicate their faith, they gave everything out of love for the Eucharist. In the course of reading that, I, for the first time, heard, like, you know, really heard that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist. And I remember being so blown away by this that I, I put the book down, I ran down to the kitchen 
my older brothers and sisters were there. They're like, guys, did you guys know? Did you guys know that like at the mass, that's really Jesus? And they're like, yeah. Like, no, no, no. Like the, 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 the host, that's like, that's, that's Jesus. That's really him. They're like, yeah, we know. I'm like, no, you guys, you don't understand. Cause they're not reacting at all. I'm like, you guys don't understand. Like that's actually Jesus. And they're like, okay, moron. Yeah. We went to Catholic school too. We know this. And I don't know what my problem was. Like, I don't know if I was sick that day. I don't know, but I just, I, it did not compute until that day. I can remember just reading this book in my bedroom, running downstairs into the kitchen. And the next, that upcoming Sunday, I was so excited to be able to go to mass. I was just, I was, we're, we're, we were the late family when it came to going to church. And we always sat in the front row, but we, all eight of us, we would come in. It was a race between us and the priest to see who could get down to that front row first. And that Sunday, I was, man, I was so excited. I remember being like, this is Jesus. This is really him. And all throughout the mass, I'm like, okay, yep, yep, yep. Let's get there. Let's get there. And finally, got a chance to go up and receive our Lord. <laughs> I always say, like the priest said, body of Christ. I'm like, yeah, for real this time, you know, kind of a wink. And I didn't really wink. And then never said for real this time. But I remember I'm meaning it. Like I have been doing this every Sunday and also Wednesdays because we went to Catholic elementary school of my life and I had no idea. And now here I am. And this is, this is really him. Now there was, that was a height and a low because then I received our Lord and I was like, well, this is a little bit drier than I thought it would be. Um, I remember being kind of underwhelmed by my, that first encounter with our Lord in the Eucharist when I knew he was present. And it kind of, it, but it set me on this great journey of, okay, how do I have a relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist? Hmm. When, when, okay, I know this is true because you said it, Jesus, you said, this is my body, this is my blood. So I know this. But sensibly, this, it's an act But sensibly, pain. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, going to adoration, if we've been to adoration and you're looking, <laughs> I remember going like, okay, Jesus, go. Like, okay, go. You know? And yet it was so good for me because it, it was one of those first, I don't want to say crises of faith. It was the first, okay, here's a, here's, are you, will you trust me? Yeah. And there's something so powerful about that because it's like, okay, here's a relationship where you're not who I want you to be. You're who you are and have revealed yourself to me to be. Hmm. And either I get to say, no, 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 I'd, I want my version of you. Or I get to say, okay, I, uh, it'll be you. And there's something about that that just, man, that started, that started, well, it continued what God had done, what he had started um, in baptism, but then also like what he had really broke, broken my heart open in confession. And that was some, somewhere in high school. That's beautiful. And even the Testament to confession and sort of those oh, two yeah. sacraments going together and, um, you know, kind of how the one makes us more open to the other. It's really beautiful. It makes me think of, uh, there's a encyclical Lumen Fidei, you know, Pope Francis, um, but I think they say, that Pope Benedict wrote a lot of it, you know, kind of, and then yeah, Pope yeah. Francis sort of completed it. And um, in there, he talks about a lot about that idea of faith, like that there's like a basic uh, stance of faith, which is like the trust in what another person has said about themselves, you know, to be true or, or has said about a state of affairs. And that that's where we like function with that basic level of faith, like, uh, you know, trusting that uh, a bridge isn't going to collapse because we trust the engineers. And there's, uh, for me, very much so, uh, there was a point at which the Eucharist and belief in Jesus and the Eucharist came down to a similar thing where it's like, um, you know, ha have you revealed this? And that, and that really that, I think that just changes so much of, I don't know if we always talk that way about religion, about Catholicism, about faith, which is, these are the things which I think part of what you've done with Bible and year that's so powerful is to unpack one of the sources of re revelation, revealed right. religion and, and sort of show like, here's what God has shown about himself to be true. Um, yeah, it's powerful. 
but definitely not easy. You know, we even we've we've talked a couple times on this podcast even about some of the studies we've done that have shown the gap between there's certainly we know there's this gap between people who report to be Catholics and people who profess belief in the real presence right. of Jesus in the Eucharist. Right. There's also a lot of people who say, yeah, yeah, I, I know that this is what the church teaches, uh, or, or they'll even say, I believe that the church teaches that Jesus is really present in the Eucharist, but they don't come to mass. They don't actually yeah. like practice. And so you're like, well, what's, what's going on there? That's a whole other kind of category. Yeah. There's something so <laughs> that, that is, it's not just as simple as, well, if people just knew you need to just say this more, I think was it, was it Monsignor Shea who gave a talk for the Eucharist revival that, um, he had, he had shared, you know, just priests need to talk about this more. Like, well, I think I know a lot of, pri- I don't know. I actually literally don't know a priest right now that I can think of offhand who doesn't wholeheartedly not only believe in the Lord's presence and real presence in the Eucharist, but also love him in the Eucharist. So I think there's a lot of talking, but yeah, as, as you mentioned, there, there is something in our own hearts that, um, that is not just in our heads, right? There's something about, okay, I have intellectual knowledge. That, that was a big moment of grace for me because as I said, was I sick that day? Like, I mean, how did all my other siblings, they, you know, quote unquote, knew that. And yet, A, I hadn't quote unquote heard it. But B, I look back and think, wait, why were they not blown away by it? Like I was blown away by it. So because they said that they knew and, I, and they're good people and they have faith now. But at the time, they weren't like going out of their way to spend time with our Lord in the Eucharist. At the time, they weren't... Uh, even excited about the mass on Sunday. And I think, okay, this is all this mystery of conversion and repentance and sin and grace. And just, it's not just a matter of knowing something. There's an aspect of, am I willing? It's kind of like, I don't know. It's whenever Christmas rolls around, like my mind always goes back to, I'm always thinking of like, what, what, what to preach at Christmas time. One of the pieces is, okay. Uh, you can't have a baby and expect your life to be the same. It's just, it, if you're having a baby, that means everything's going to change. I love that. I love that. It, and, 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 and so the same thing with the Eucharist is, okay, I can't come to know this deep truth about God and his love for me and how he wants to come into contact with me and let that penetrate and be the same. I can hold him at a distance, but it, but that then, but then I'm missing something, right? I'm, I'm missing either the heart or I'm missing the relationship that you mentioned, the trust thing. Um, and maybe I don't want him that close. And that's the crazy thing about the Eucharist is here is Jesus who comes close to us, but maybe I don't want that. Yeah. I actually prefer a God who keeps his distance and I lets me visit him, but doesn't want to break into my life and touch ass, every aspect of it. I don't know. And rearrange it and do something differently than I want him to do with it. And well, you know, C.S. Lewis has that great image of the, of the house, you know, like, no, no, just tidy up this corner of the house. And he's like, no, 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 he's going to, he wants to build you a castle. He's trying to knock down walls and you you might not be ready. Yeah. And that to me, I think you captured so perfectly, like the Eucharistic revival as a project, which is in my mind, it's like the entirety of the church's evangelistic mission is sort of, you know, part of this. It's not just one slice of it that we're trying to pull out. It's, how to help people have initial and basic faith, you know, in yeah, their being yeah. a God and how do you help people, you know, respond to the gospel for the first time and grow as in mission uh, to go out and, and learn and deepen their faith. And I would recommend, this is a, a shameless plug for, for you and something you did. The first talk, I, the first Father Mike Schmidt's talk I ever heard uh, was in 2011. I was working for a company called Lighthouse Catholic Media. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And someone put a, a CD on my desk of some homilies from priests who'd done a series called True Worship, these four talks on Jesus and the Eucharist. And they said, hey, this, this, is a, this priest is a really good <laughs> preacher. You should listen to it. I was like helping to find, you know, new, new speakers and stuff. This is the CDs in the back of the church. For anyone who's Lighthouse right, Academy, yeah. Media, that's the kiosk in the back of the church. And so I remember listening to it on the drive home. I had my, my, little, my new Toyota Corolla just fresh out of college, out of Steubenville. I'm driving home. And I, I literally remember thinking to myself, that's the best speaker I've ever heard in my whole. And so I, I sat in my driveway and finished. It's like four, 15, 20 minute homilies. And you go through, you know, Moses and sort of like, how does the Lord want us to worship him? That's relevant and important. You tell this kind of incredible story at one point about, um, you know, sort of some persecuted churches and their experience right. in the Eucharist and why we don't have this. And I mean, you even get like choked up at one point. I remember like it, it really is. I can still see myself sitting in my uh, Toyota Corolla in the suburbs of Chicago. So everyone check out, I think it's still on formed. Like yeah, the streaming is. version is on form.org. True worship. It's excellent. Well, um, thank you for that because um, yeah, that was also, I remember it was Advent and um, I want, it was the first series we ever did because we now we typically do this like homily series kind of a thing where I think we can dive a little more deeply into, into the scripture, into like aspects of the faith if we just kind of take our time. And that was the first one. I was like, okay, what do we need? I, yeah, our students, they need, because a lot of them are going to go home over Christmas break. Some will just go home and their faith will be cooled off over those three to four weeks. Some of them are graduating and we'll never see them again. Like, what is the thing that they need to know before they leave? And it was just this, this, this weight, this uh, burden on my heart of they need to know the Eucharist. And mm. uh, I remember thinking, this doesn't really line up exactly with the readings <laughs> every, every Sunday. Like, I don't care. It's worth it. Um, but I'm glad it was helpful. <laughs> uh, incredible. Yeah, really worth it. Really worth it. Anyone's time. Um, it's so good. We're grateful to the National Catholic Educational Association for sponsoring today's episode. The NCEA 2024 convention is coming up soon. All Catholic school educators, administrators, and leaders are welcome to join us in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on April 2nd through 4th, 2024 for Together in Pittsburgh, Connections, Commitment, and Community. The largest Catholic education at convention has it all with breakout sessions, liturgies, special events, and a keynote by Steve Angrizano. Register today using the link in the show notes. We can't wait to welcome you to Pittsburgh. Yeah, so kind of in general, maybe, you know, this Eucharistic Revival Project now, we're about a year and a half into it. It's a three-year initiative, kind of in the middle of the parish year. You know, sort of maybe what's your been your experience of that? You know, either as you've seen it sort of walked out into the church's life, the bishops inviting the church to this moment sort of prophetically, or, or even, you know, maybe when you first heard about it, like, What's kind of been your experience from your vantage point traveling around, certainly, but mm -hmm. then also just, um, you know, in, in campus ministry doing what you do? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. The, um, it, it, it varies. My, my experience varies. I, internally, for myself, personally, I, I think, awesome, great idea. This is so good. Um, really excited about, I, I love the, I, so, we, you know, I, I get the chance to work every summer on like Steubenville Youth Conferences or other youth conferences. And that gives, you know, anywhere from a thousand to like maybe 5,000 or, or 6,000 youth. Um, got to work at uh, the Focus National Conference, which is, you know, twice or three times that, which is really cool. The idea, but the idea of having something where adults can come, you know, because everyone says that's nice for the kids, that's nice for the youth. When I first heard about the, uh, the actual, like, let's come together and have this, I was like, man, that's awesome. Not only is it awesome for the adults and whatever families, whoever comes, but also because there's that recognition of this is how the Lord 
won my heart in a unique way, as I mentioned already, mm-hmm. is through the Eucharist, through himself. He, he did in the Eucharist. Um, I think, gosh, is it, it might be the, in the catechism, but it says something along the lines of, or somewhere, somewhere it says something along the lines of uh, all the other sacraments, um, of the seven sacraments, six of them are expressions of God's power, like expressions of his work, expressions, expressions of his, 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 what he does for us. The Eucharist is he himself. And there's something of, I, I, I'm butchering that, but there's something about that that's just like, man, for people to be able to come in contact with the Lord Jesus like that in a, in a real way, just it gets me so excited. So, so personally, I'm very excited. One of the things I've found, and maybe you found this too, is the question keeps coming back to me in my work with our diocese is, okay, how are we going to organize this? Like, how are we going to, are we doing the local thing? Are we doing the national thing? Are we doing like the one time here's the, uh, the regional gathering, or are we going to roll this out over the course of a year? And some of those questions, which I think probably, I want to say brilliantly because, (laughs) but maybe brilliantly, it's kind of left up to the local church to decide how do you want to um, live this? Is that just, again, is, the, is it the national event? Is it a regional event? Is it like, uh, okay, as a diocese, as a, as a, you know, in our, in our, par- in our diocese, our bishop has been very, very uh, big on what he calls mission fields. See, and he says in the past, you might have deaneries, you might have parishes. And we have still parish boundaries and whatnot. But he said, but we have to scrap all of that and go back to mission fields because we have to have the mindset that says, okay, this, in this region, I'm responsible. I'm spiritually responsible for every person who lives here. And so that means this whole area is my mission field. So where are the hospitals? Where are the funeral homes? Where are the nursing homes? What are the schools? What are the other ministries that are happening? Because every one of these people, the Lord Jesus suffered, died and rose from the dead for them. And so how are we going to reach each and every one of them with the gospel? And so in that, what he has advocated for all of us is he's like, we're not going to have a lot of diocesan mandates. What we want you to do is you're on the ground. How do you want to reach out to every person in your mission field? And I think there's something beautiful about uh, the revival, the Eucharistic revival that says, okay, um, let's, let's do this. They, they, there's a big event. That's great. We want that to be as powerful and impactful as possible. There's also regional events, same thing. Also, you know, maybe not just the one weekend, but how, what about for all this whole season? You know, I just think that there's something really, there's a lot of potential and I just can't wait to see what people end up doing. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's a good, it, there's a risk in that, right? That, it totally like, is. It, it, in setting the strategy as, um, I always think of like the Navy SEALs who like have, just, <laughs> have they have enough training to be in yeah. like, you know, mission critical situations and make really strategic decisions. And it's always seemed to me that if we're, we are good at organizing things as a church at times, right? Like we can, we have this hierarchical structure that allows us to, um, you know, push, I was going to say push out messages, but that can be a challenge. We've, we've learned like it'd be hard to, you know, communicate a vision broadly, but um, you know, there's, there's a possibility of saying, well, we all need to do these things. And I think there was a, to me, there was a power in almost saying, kind of like you said, I don't know a priest who doesn't, isn't a priest because he loves Jesus and right. the Eucharist and wants to renew the Eucharistic life of a parish. And so sort of rallying uh those energies all together to me that's the critical the critical places it has to happen in the parish the the national organizing efforts the congress we're doing the the pilgrimage are sort of points of connectivity or gathering up local fires but mm-hmm. if it's not happening locally in the parish that's just where 
the rubber is going to really hit the road in terms of that's where the gospel gets incarnated in real people's lives. Right. Right. And so to leave some of that up to their local discernment, there's, there's risk there. And I think it's, yeah, mileage does vary. I talk to people all the time. They're like, my pastor's not doing anything. Yeah. My diocese isn't doing what I want them to do. And I'm always like, I think there's a chance for all of us to participate in the renewal of the church by becoming saints ourselves. But um, yeah, there, I, I, I appreciate that you kind of noticed that that seemed to be part of the strategy of this. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm also, I'm sure you've reflected on this, but uh, for, for years when I went on my, I, I would, at the end of the fall semester, I would go on a silent retreat. And for years on that silent retreat, I would, I would take Archbishop Fulton Sheen's uh, retreat for priests. I think he had given to a bunch of priests in Ireland years and years ago. And in, in that retreat, it's, it's kind of, it, I think that retreat has become pretty monumental and instrumental in the lives of many priests because it was that retreat that he said, you cannot, he, he said to all the priests, he's like, you, you can't remember a single thing that you've ever heard in any of the retreats that you've been to before. You have to go to a retreat every year and you, I, could, I could bet you money that if I asked you, what has anyone ever said or how has it even impacted your life? You've been going to retreats. If you've been ordained 20 years, you've been going to retreats for 20 years. And you could point to it and say, this has not made a single <laughs> slice of a difference in my life. He said, so I'm going to say one thing. I'm going to invite you all to make a, a daily holy hour. Mm. And that was it. That was the, the, I mean, he talks a lot about it, but he had said that here's what has to happen. Unless you do this, nothing will change. And, and he's looking at the priest in Ireland, he's looking at the priest around the world yeah. and saying the same kind of thing is like, unless you do something that, that, that begins to reshape your life. So it's not just, okay, I got my retreat done this year. That was really nice. That, that uh, retreat master was very talented or he was very compelling, clever, but that's done now. The retreat's over. And the, the thing I think that will Maybe matter will make a break because the Holy Spirit can do what the Holy Spirit does. But I think in so many ways, one of the things that I'm looking towards is, okay, how is my daily prayer life going to change? And not yes. just my daily prayer life. How is the daily prayer life of your uh, father of five, is your, your single uh, young woman, is your um, unmarried at 56, you know, or, or whoever, whatever you're at, wherever a person's at in life, how will their daily prayer life change because if that, if that doesn't, right. Then, then it's like, well, that was fun and it was really well done, but you can't have a revival unless there's uh, something revived, right. Something that's dead. That's now alive. I can't agree more. I can't agree more. I think that's, yeah, the, 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 it should be normative, right. To have a living relationship with Jesus and the Eucharist that's lived out daily and weekly should be a normative part of the Christian life. Like this should be what it, it should be taught a lot, like what it means to be right, yeah, Catholic. Yeah, should be, it, yeah. yeah, to be a, this should be a 100% of Catholics yeah. that can't just say this is what the church teaches, but are actually like living it and have encountered that reality in a way that's shattered them, like changed right. them forever. And, and that's exactly it. If the Eucharistic revival is to be a success in 10 years, if we're to look back on mm-hmm. it and not just say cool church thing we did for a few years, yeah. but like actually made an impact in the church, it's because the percentage of Catholics who live the faith that way from a Eucharistic heart into a Eucharistic life onto Eucharistic mission, that that needle moved. Um, yeah. I can't agree more. Yeah. And I, I, I don't want to go on, I want to go on record of saying, I'm not saying everyone needs to normative is 60 minutes a day. I'm not saying that at all, but I am for saying a priest maybe, or for, yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. A priest. Definitely. If you're in charge of, uh, of, 
I remember <laughs> Father Larry Richards. Um, at one point, you know who Father Larry Richards is? Of course, is? yeah, yeah. Oh, of course, yeah. He's just, he is, man, the things he can get away with saying, I don't think I could ever say. One of those things was he, um, he was at a Steubenville conference and they has assigned him the task of giving the talk to the youth ministers and, and the other adults. And, uh, and that he had an hour or 45 minutes to give this talk. And he came in and there was, they had, the schedule got all messed up. So he had like 15 or five minutes, something like this. And he said, okay, well, I don't have any time. I had a whole talk to give you, but here's what I have to say to you. And I always don't want to emphasize, this is what Father Larry Richards said. This is not what Father Mike Schmidt said. This, I'm just, re, I'm just reporting. I what think he, you get away with a lot too, Father, said, if you, if you want said, to start. Yeah. He said, if you are a youth minister and you're not spending an hour a day in front of our Lord in the Eucharist, then get the hell out of youth ministry. <laughs> that was it. And that's what he said. That's all he said. Um, and I'm like, okay, I could not say that. I'm just repeating what he said. Um, but there's something in that. Like if, if you're good for reflection, you know, for <laughs> as, as an examination of consider yeah. this, but, <laughs> but, there's, but there's an aspect there too, where there is a, if you're responsible for the souls of others, then there's some degree to which you become the prototype. And this is this, this image that keeps going back to me is, is that, so if you're the father of your family, uh, that if you're the mother of your family, if you're the, the parish priest, if you're a religious, whatever, that, that the idea, if you're responsible for other people's spiritual lives, then one of the things, one of the things we're kind of saying in, in a matter of speaking, you know, St. Paul said it, he said, be imitators of me as I'm of Christ. So the question we have to ask is if those people for whom I'm responsible, if they live their spiritual lives to the depth and degree to which I'm living my spiritual life, mm. would they end up becoming great saints? Or they end up just becoming nice people. And, and that's the thing is like that, because why? Because you're the prototype. And so if, if I'm saying, okay, no, I, I have a nice prayer life versus, okay, the Lord's calling me to the depths. And sometimes that's the depths of desolation. Sometimes that's the depths of ho-humness. Sometimes it's the depths of, you know, intimacy. But at least the least thing he's asking for me, of me, is consistency. And so that sense of being able to say, Okay, that's why uh, I think it was Father Dubay in one of his books. It was a Q&A question on spirit, uh, spiritual life. I think it was something like, something about spiritual direction. And so it's him giving spiritual direction in a Q&A fashion in one of these books. And uh, so someone says, well, I'm a, I'm a busy mom. I'm a busy dad. I don't have time for prayer. And he says, no problem. That's okay. You no, know, he says, no problem at all. You have the freedom to be a mediocre father and a mediocre mother. No problem. <laughs> don't even worry about it. <laughs> And so there's something about that, very tongue in cheek. Now he was the most gentle man I've ever met in my yeah, entire life. Yeah, I love his, right. Yeah. And, right. And so him to say that is like, there's serious sarcasm, but a lot of uh, gentleness as well. And I, I love just think, it. Yeah. But there's, I'm challenged but, by it. Yeah. I but in that, really right. Yeah. Because again, I, it doesn't have to be 60 minutes, but there, there's that sense of, okay, God, how are you? And this is maybe the big question that people were afraid to ask because we're afraid of the answer. We don't know how to answer, or maybe not even because we're afraid of the answer, but we don't know, how do I know? And the question is, God, how do you want me to pray in this season of my life? And I think in some ways, that's going to be the question that we want every person to walk away from this Eucharistic revival with, um, which is, God, because yes, for priests, our spirit machine, 60 minutes, minimum, no problem, great. Religious sisters, whatever time they spend, awesome. But then this question of like, here's Joe, here's Juan, here's Sally, here's whoever. And they say, God, I, this season of my life, I am so busy and I am so 
frazzled and I'm so I'm just starting out. No, no problem. No one's imposing a certain time on you, but just asking you or inviting you to ask the Lord, okay, God, I know you love me. You know me. You know where I'm at. You know where you want me to be. How do you want me to pray over these next 30 days? How do you want me to pray over this next season? Whatever that is. And then just say, okay, God, that's what I'm going to do. Not perfectly. But I think if more and more of us just did that, I don't have to pray like someone else. I just have to pray how God is inviting me to pray. I think a lot would change. I think the survival would be um, powerful and impactful. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I think that's, I'm challenged by it. I think it's very wise. I think it's very beautiful. Yeah. How do we, a sincere and sacrificial commitment to prayer that transforms us inwardly into, and then leads us, you know, to bear fruit in our lives. Right. And that's like, that's the, the, the recipe for renewal in every age of the church in particular in our, I I think that's actually, you know, again, not to be too shameless, but it's it's actually something I've always admired about you as a, a a man and a priest on mission from afar is just when you, when you hear you talk and and some of the different, you know, media things and something like the Bible in the year, the catechism in the year, your, um, you can tell that what you're relating is coming from a place of prayer and mm. learning. Like there's, there's always, I've never met anyone who always has like, like you're like so many unique, you know, sort of insights or takes into things. And, and there's no way for that to happen in a person's life. That kind of creative gift of communicating without at first being sort of written on your heart and prayer. And yeah. I mean, what does that look like for you kind of, even with the increased responsibility of number one podcast in the world, not religious or otherwise, like how do you continue to sort of press in uh, into that Eucharistic heart in your own mission work? That's a great question because um, there's, there's the basics there. The, the basics we have here is on campus. We have a holy hour every single morning. Um, it's that we invite our focus team to be with us and whatever students want to join us to be with us. And so that, that is, that's there. And then obviously mass every day. Um, Liturgy of the hours. But one of the things that I have, <laughs> my spiritual director has heard this a thousand times. I'm like, Father, I think this is what God's asked me to do um, is I know that I'm either growing in intimacy with Jesus or we're a little bit stale when I'm, I'm spending 30 minutes in the evening with the Lord doing nothing else. So mm. my temptation is either to skip that time, <laughs> obviously, because I'm like everyone else. I'm so busy, so tired, whatever. So either skip that time or when I go into the chapel, because we have a little chapel nearby, um, to bring in some work or to bring in something that, well, this is a good spiritual kind of insightful, helpful kind of thing to pray with. But I also know that I've got stuff to pray with all day, that this last part of the day, this is just something, again, God has put on my heart for the last couple of years. So I'm still working with it. Um, but I know that if I just go into the chapel and say, nope, Lord, the next 29 minutes is these 29 minutes are just vulnerable because I'm not bringing any crutches in. Uh, they, it is just calm because I'm not bringing any work in. Um, it is just you and me. And that's all it is. When I do that, I know that I'm growing in intimacy with the Lord. And I, when I fail to do that or I do it in my own kind of distorted and distracted way, then I know that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm cheating and, and one of the things that comes back to me again and again, and this is, again, I'm not doing it perfectly at all, but when I look back on a, on a, a night and maybe I did make it in, but I brought in, you know, my iPad and I was listening Writing to someone's talk. talk. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
I go to bed sometimes and I'm like, huh, Lord, I'll never have that, that, that 29 minutes again. Hmm. And I spent it, I spent it intentionally distracting myself from you. Why? Like, what was I trying to avoid? Was I trying to avoid your, your voice, your gaze? I trying to avoid my own mess or my, you know, all those things. And so that, that great question, Tim, that's the, that's the thing for me this is what it looks like. It looks like when I can make that time, it looks so good. And uh, even if it's hard and when I don't make that time, that's a pretty good litmus test for me. But that's, again, that's just me. That's not everybody. Yeah. That's what he's calling you into right now. And right. You know, right. you're, Boy, I'm just, yeah, challenged by this. Tanner and I think we're going to just be unpacking this conversation for a while. And I hope so many people listening to just really enriched by your insights and your um, witness and just so grateful. I know your time is limited. I want to, I want to leave with one question, you know, kind of before we let you go. Um, You're speaking at the National Eucharistic Congress. I think it's Thursday night, July 18th, 2024. So coming up, we're in the keynotes that night for our night sort of on encounter, a real time of encounter with Jesus and Eucharist, focus on the story of salvation history. When you think about this moment for the church and, and sort of its uniqueness in terms of the whole church coming together uh, as, a, as a time of encounter, but then an encounter that sends us on mission, that heals us individually, but also as a body so that we can go out and be, you know, what, what kind of gets you most um, excited as you think about it or, or what are you most looking forward to? Oh, man, that is just, I, hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting because I, I think, first of all, about like the whole event and like, everything uh, that's going into it and all the people, like I think of like all the people that are there. But then one of the things that my mind and my heart goes to is whether there are five people in the room or 50,000 people in the room, every one of those individuals shows up different. You know, you all show up needing, needing something. And ultimately you all show up needing the Lord. That's, I mean, it's obvious, but at the same time, it's, it's that, it's that, it's that thing of like, man, what does God want to do? Not just with the group, right? That's, that's one thing It's what do you want to do with all these people? It's what do you want to do with that one person who is like, okay, I, I've been excited about this for the last however long, or that one person who is like, man, this has been the worst day of my life. Or the one person who is, okay, my mom said that if I went to this thing with her that she would, you know, give me a bike. Got me a bike. Yeah. Um, like what is that? And just that gets me excited to say, okay, God, what do you want to do with those individuals? Not just with the big, big group, but cause you know, we know this, that the, the Lord is a sniper, right? He's not, he's a, uh, he, he, he's going after every one of our hearts individually. And uh, it's just, I get excited about being able to be a part of that. That's so interesting. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the thing recently that I found the most energy in myself in the dog days of planning or of, you know, the, um, the, the work we're doing to kind of make all this happen is if I think about the, yeah, the stadium, like in the, right. like a disembodied way, I'm almost like, man, I'm just kind of tired. But if I think <laughs> about like this life, you know, this right. priest who came and received a vocation here, this, you know, like conversion that happens or this person mm-hmm. who has been faithful for so long, but there's been deep pain and hurt in their life and they're going to receive a healing. It's like, then I can get up for that. You know, there yeah. is something um, about that that is especially compelling. Father, we're grateful for you, grateful for all you do for the church, grateful for your involvement in the Eucharistic Revival and the Congress and um, just who you are. So um, we'll be praying for you. Please pray Thank for you. us. And thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks, you guys. 
Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Revive with Father Mike Schmitz. For more on the Eucharistic Revival, visit EucharisticRevival.org. And if you want to join us in Indianapolis for this historic encounter with the living Jesus in the Eucharist and be sent on mission for the life of the world, don't forget to register today for the National Eucharistic Congress at EucharisticCongress.org. We're so grateful for you. We're praying for you. Have a great day. God bless. We're grateful to the National Catholic Educational Association for sponsoring today's episode. The NCEA 2024 convention is coming up soon. All Catholic school educators, administrators, and leaders are welcome to join us in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on April 2nd through 4th, 2024 for Together in Pittsburgh, Connections, Commitment, and Community. The largest Catholic education convention has it all with breakout sessions, liturgies, special events, and a keynote by Steve Angrizano. Register today using the link in the show notes. We can't wait to welcome you to Pittsburgh. This has been a production of OSV Podcasts. To learn more, visit osvpodcasts.com.